Now I would like to just mention that we've had a great teen lock-in weekend. And under the dynamic leadership of Reverend Catherine Cardinal, this team is here to launch us this morning in an opening prayer. So I just would like to invite them and our senior minister forward this morning as we begin the second part of our service. Why don't you come on up? I'm going to sing, and then we'll, we'll do the prayer. So, If you'd like to stand with me and sing, if not, please stay seated. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit one spirit is in this very room in this very So I'd like you to know with me and take a deep breath in and just listen and hear and sense everything in this room because beyond what you can see and smell and hear, you can feel the God in here. You can feel that force that connects each and every one of us. And just know it inside of yourself right now. Feel the connection to the one, to the everything. Feel the spark of God inside of you because it is everywhere and it is in myself and it is in each and every one of you. I am who I am, therefore I am love, beauty, joy, happiness, power, open, accepting, intelligent, Light, harmony, health, and abundant. I'm so thankful for this teen group, this lock-in, this center, and this teaching. Together we say, and so it is. Beautiful. Thank you, teens. Thank you. Good morning and welcome. I wanted to uh, share with you this morning some ideas of, around this idea of courage, compassion, and connection. And it was inspired last week, Laura and I were not here, and I want to thank Reverend uh, Pat Bordeaux for what I understand, I haven't listened to it yet, a wonderful talk, but it's wonderful to be able to go away and, and have such a, a group of talented individuals step up and, and share their wisdom and, and gifts. We, um, we were in, in Phoenix, 
last week, and we went to stay with some friends, and it was an interesting and, uh, and, and wonderful time to just relax. And coming back, um, fortunately, I have a pretty good memory. I remembered kind of where I'd parked the cars. So I was able to get over there and poke them with a stick, and then after about four or five hours of shoveling, I was able to get them free. So it was a little different than being in Phoenix, but we the benefits of a, a good memory. Uh, this morning's um, talk is entitled Abracadabra, and Abracadabra is an, is an incantation. If you know the Steve Miller Band, they had a song a number of years ago, back, I think it was 1985, Abracadabra, and that song actually has been on a loop in my head for the last week as I've been working on this talk. Um, but anyway, it is about, what it means is it is done as I say my word. And so I wanted I want, I want to share with you today what sort of showed up for me in, in, in the preparation was um, I discovered someone uh, via my wife, Laura. We're both busy in research uh, a great deal of the time. And we came across a lady by the name of Breen Brown who's on TED. And it's actually, if you go to our Facebook link, it is, the link is there if you'd like to see her, her uh, talk. It's about a 20-minute talk. And it's a wonderful, wonderful presentation based on, I think, the events of the last uh, several days that, that guided me to this. Because truly it is done, abracadabra it is done, as I've said, my, uh, according to how I've uh, stated my word, but it's also done to us at the level of consciousness that that word is stated from. And it's so important, I think, to, to realize that without the consciousness beneath the incantation or the declaration or the affirmation, it's just announcing. And so Breen Brown has done a, a, a wonderful... Um, uh, job of researching over the last 10 years, she has, has been researching vulnerability and connection. And she is an absolute genius. And I want to share some of her ideas with you today and set up uh, what I think is, is pertinent to this conversation. When she started out, she shares that when she started out as a researcher, and I have her bio here, I can give you that first. She is a, a professor at the University of, University of Houston in the Graduate College of Social Work. She has spent the past 10 years studying vulnerability, courage, authenticity, and shame. And so she's, um, and her, her first name is B-R-E-N-E, -E, and last is Brown, B-R-O-W-N. But she said that when she started out in, as a researcher, she was told that, that if you can't see it and touch it and feel it, it doesn't, it doesn't count. So you have to be able to measure it. So as a researcher, you have to be able to measure it, and this is the way she was conditioned and, and introduced to her, her field of study. She said that what she's realized over the past 10 years of study is that the reason that why we are here is connection. We come here together to, in the community to connect. Our teens have spent the weekend together with, with our facilitators connecting, not just with one another, but with oneself. And she said, we're all wired for connection. And what she's found in her study is that when you ask people about love, the experience of love in their lives, they usually talk about heartbreak. If you ask people about belonging, they will share a story about exclusion. And if you ask a story about uh, someone to tell you a story about connection, they'll talk about disconnection. And she said, what underlines all of these things in her study, the underlying theme for these ideas of, of not heartbreak, exclusion, disconnection, is an underlying sense of shame and fear. And the fear, in her opinion, is about a fear of disconnection, a fear of not being good enough, of not being able to deserve connection. And she said that it's universal. This feeling is universal. In her 10 years of study, this thing, and thousands and thousands of stories in her research, she said that no one wants to talk about it. No one wants to talk about this feeling of disenchantment or dis disconnection 
are, are disenfranchised. But the less that you talk about it, the more prevalent it is in your awareness and your experience. So it's interesting. And what underpins this, this I'm not good enough, is excruciating vulnerability. Excruciating vulnerability underpins this idea of not good enough. In order for connection to happen, we have to allow ourselves to be seen, to be really seen. And so in her research, what she decided was, she studied this. She started studying, and she found that she could put these, these people into two groups. And one group, one group, I'll find my note here because it's so good. One group had a sense of worthiness, a strong sense of love and belonging. And the other group struggled with a sense of love and belonging. And she said the only difference between the two groups was that the first group, the key to it was they believed they were worthy of love and belonging. I've watched people come into our teaching and come in the doors of our community and you start to tell them that your word has power. And it is done as we, we say our word, as we speak our word, as we make the declaration. But many times the foundational piece of love and belonging is, is not quite as fully developed. I'm not going to say it's not there, but it's not quite as fully developed. And so for many to step into an idea of affirmation and living a life and directing a life and, and, and all those things, without this foundation of love and belonging, it, it's difficult. It's not impossible, but it, that piece needs to be, in my opinion, more fully present and more fully available and more active. So people either have a strong sense of love and belonging and they believe they're worthy of love and belonging or they struggle with it. And the ones that struggle with it consistently wonder if they're good enough. There's this sort of talk, this, this inner dialogue going, am I good enough, am I good enough, am I good enough? And she termed this wholehearted. She said there's wholehearted people. And these wholehearted people show up and they understand that they, they are deserving of love and belonging. And she said that, that the number one thing that, that she's noticed in observing in her study is that the number one quality that the wholehearted bring is courage. They bring courage to everything. And the courage, and courage means to tell the story of who we are with our whole heart. This is who I am, and I'm here to tell you my story with my whole heart. And I'm not to pretend this is who I am with all of my heart, to have that courage to be, and the courage really is to, about being imperfect. Because if we're vulnerable, then people see our vulnerability, they see our gaps, they see our imperfection. We are all works in progress. The core of being of all of us is divine perfection because we are from the source, we are of the source. There's one life, that life is God's life. Why do we affirm that? Well, because for most of us, my, myself uh, as well, that has not been my experience. And so to heal that gap, that's been one of my prayers. That's been one of my incantations. It's been one of my vows. And yet there are times I slip back into my early conditioning. But it is about having the courage to be imperfect, as she said. Number two is compassion. To be kind to ourselves, we have to be kind to ourselves in order to be kind to one another. We cannot go out in the world and be kind to others without being kind to ourselves. And connection. As a result of authenticity, are we willing to let go of who we thought we were so that we can be who we are? Because all of us wear masks. Can we put down the mask to be who, who we truly are? In Mark Nepo's, uh, the book we picked for book of the year, really, and we're using it this month to launch in January, and we'll use it in February as well. It's, it's just so wonderful. 
Mark Nepple on page 30 says that in being kind, dash I, January 26, he said, you often say, this is from Cahill Gibran, you often say I would give, but only to, only to the deserving. The tree in your orchard say not so, nor the flocks in your pasture. They give that they may live, for to withhold is to perish. When we're not living in this, we're not, we're not showing up in the world the way that we are called to show up. And as a result, we diminish ourselves. And then our gifts and our beauty uh, are not shared. And it's to live that diminished experience. He continues, Mark Nepo, the great and fierce mystic William Blake said, there is no greater act than putting another before you. And this speaks to a selfless giving that seems to be at the base of meaningful love. Yet having struggled for a lifetime with letting the needs of others define me, I have come to understand that without the healthiest form of self-love, without honoring the essence of life that this thing called self carries, the way a pod carries a seed, putting another before you can result in damaging self-sacrifice and endless correspondence. I have in many ways over the years suppressed my own needs and insights in an effort not to disappoint others, even when no one asked me to. This is not unique to me. Somehow in the course of learning to be good, we have all been asked to wrestle with a false dilemma, being kind to ourselves or being kind to others. In truth, though, being kind to ourselves is a prerequisite to being kind to others. Honoring ourselves is, in fact, the only lasting way to release a truly selfless kindness to others. It is so true. And I picked that up this morning and I was preparing this and I thought, oh, this is just perfect. Here's Mark Nepo speaking about it. And he continues. I didn't share the, the entire chapter with you. But when the courage is there, the courage is there to be imperfect, to say, this is me in all my splendor, and I'm a work in progress, but this is it. To have the courage to do that, and the compassion to be kind to oneself despite that imperfection, so that we can be compassionate with one another. To have the connection as a result of authenticity, we're willing to let go of who we think we are to be who we really are. In other words, to be not so locked into who we think we are that there's no possibility, there's no flexibility, there's no dance that can go on. There's no mystery. So the willingness, and, and, and she's, she talks about to fully embrace vulnerability. What makes us vulnerable makes us beautiful. A number of years ago, I brought back some information from Maria Nemeth. We talked about vulnerability, and it created a great discussion because people didn't like the idea of being vulnerable. Why should I be vulnerable? Then I'm, I'm up for, I could be hurt. Absolutely. When we're vulnerable, we're permeable to whatever's around us. But as she said, Vulnerability makes us beautiful, and it's necessary. The willingness to say, I love you first. The willingness to say, I love you first. The willingness to do something when there are no guarantees. You know, we do the spiritual practice. There's no guarantees. You know, we talk about, I've talked over and over because I think it's so important about this, this whole oponopono. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. It's cleaning. Dr. E says it's cleaning. It's the most important thing we can do is clean, continue to clean our consciousness. There's no guarantees. But I believe that the, the, we do what we do here because it's, it's what we must do. And if this ends tomorrow for me, one of the things I'll know is that I kept doing it. I kept doing the work. To do it despite whatever the outcome is. To do it unconditionally. To say, this is what I do because this lines up so beautifully with the core of who and what I am. And it feeds me and it brings me to life. So I'm fully alive right here and right now. When we're doing that, then the right things, the right people show up. I, I just love Lisa, Lisa Nicole Grace's voice 
It just has got this, I mean, I love all the music, but her, my, you know, I haven't heard her in months, and I just thought, it just brings, it just cracks me open. I thought, wow, my, what a beautiful instrument, and the time and effort and, and the consistency that's gone into that, and all of the musicians. But it's, it's being fully alive in this moment to be present with that, because that's a sacred gift. It's all gifts. Willing to do something when there are no guarantees. The willingness to breathe through waiting for the doctor to call after your mammogram. The willing to invest in a relationship that may or may not work out. And all of the people that stand in this wholeheartedness believe this is fundamental. They bring this, this sense of this is fundamental to who and what I am. I'm going to live a wholehearted life. Which means I'm going to show up in the courage of my imperfection. And I'm going to show up in the compassion for myself first and foremost. So I've got to have compassion for others. And I'm going to show up in the connection so that when I meet someone, I'm not locked into the image that I have to project, but to find out the discovery of who I am and what I am in this. So it's not static. Bree Brown, when she realized this, felt betrayed by her research and by the story. Because she'd been taught if you can't touch it and feel it, measure it, it's no good. And all of a sudden, she was being asked to stop controlling and predicting and to live in vulnerability. She didn't like that. So she had to get into therapy to have the conversation to work through it because she didn't have the tools. And she tells me, if you want to go online, go to the link and watch it. tells a very funny story about it, how she and the, and the uh, therapist worked. This was a whole new way of being. She said this research changed her life, how she loves, how she lives, how she parents, how she's a partner to her husband. Wholehearted living is the birthplace. So, so what happens is with vulnerability is that when we go into the vulnerability, there are things that show up that feel bad to us. There's grief, there's shame, there's fear, there's disappointment. I don't want to go there, I don't want to feel these things. That's the downside to it. It's why we don't go there. But she said that also wholehearted living in the vulnerability is the birthplace of joy, creativity, belonging, and of love. And so what happens is if we dummy down and if we numb, she calls it we numb, and if we numb the grief, the shame, the fear, and the disappointment, if we numb those things down, we also numb down the joy, the creativity, the belonging, the love. See, we can't have the full, the full experience of one without having the full experience of the other. But we can stand in it when we believe that we're, we're deserving of love and belonging. We just, we're, we're loved and we belong just because we are. We are the thing itself. That is the core of perfection we are. But we have these stories and experiences, that's been my experience, where we, we, we lose connection with that. And all of a sudden we start to think, oh, maybe they're right, maybe I'm not good enough. But these are the choices that the wholehearted make. To live the wholehearted. I'm going to make t-shirts up, wholehearted. And I'm going to put the qualities below. Courage, compassion, connection. The wholeheartedness. And she, as we look at it, and she says, <clears throat> and, and she's talking about the United States, but I think some of it pertains to, to Canada. And being a Canadian citizen and a U.S. citizen now, I can relate to this because I feel like I'm a, a um, and I love that opportunity because I feel like I'm a citizen of the world. But she said, in the United States, there's never been so much indebtedness, there's never been so much obesity, there's never been so much addiction, and there's never been so much medication, people medicating themselves to numb themselves out. Never before have we seen it at the, at the level. 
But you cannot, as I said earlier, selectively numb ourselves. You cannot selectively numb emotion. There's the bad stuff, the grief, the shame, the fear, the disappointment. I don't want to feel these things. We numb that, we numb the joy and the celebration, the love, the belonging. And so it really is about having the courage to stand in that. So the other thing that's happened is we make the, everything uncertain, certain. And I think this leads up to what I want to share with you about my experience in Arizona. We make everything uncertain, certain. We have taken spirituality and religion from mystery and faith to certainty. And how that looks is I have a faith tradition. And I look at you and I say, mine is right and yours is wrong. If you look at the political climate in the United States, she said there's no more discourse. Now she said this months ago. She said there's no more discourse, there's no discussion, there's no conversation, there's just blame. And what she says about blame is that blame is a way to discharge pain and discomfort. We were in Phoenix and we drove down to visit a friend in Tucson for a couple of days. And so on the Saturday morning we got up and they were going to take us down to Bisbee, which is down by the border, and to Tombstone, which is the famous place where there was the shootout at the OK Corral. And on our way down there, we were stopped in traffic. We were about two blocks from an intersection that we'd driven by several times in our visit there. And on that corner was a Safeway market. And the traffic was stopped. And as we were stopped in this line of traffic, all of a sudden, just all heck broke loose. There were sirens. There were police cars. There were ambulances just pouring into this intersection. And we were about five to ten minutes away from where the shooting had taken place on Saturday morning when uh, Congresswoman Gabrielle Gifford and uh, six people were killed, and a number of people were shot. And as a result of that, they talked about the, the, the discourse or lack of discourse. A number of people, the, the sheriff in town talked about it. I thought Barack Obama's speech was brilliant when he talked about it because he raised the conversation to a different level. And he didn't blame. He said, we're always going to have evil in the world. He talked about this little girl who lost her life, who had just been elected to her class um, uh, election, and I'm not sure if she's a class president or what she was, but she, she lost her life. She wanted to go see this woman because she was inspired by this and she was intrigued by that. This nine-year-old little girl whose life was ended. What Obama said is that our children and our teens have these dreams, and it is our responsibility and opportunity to live the life reflective of those dreams and that innocence. And somewhere along the line, especially in that climate, it has gotten so combative and it has become so, there's such an anger and a frustration. I'm right and you're wrong. And the blaming. And when we were there, you could feel the heaviness. You could feel the sadness. It was just palpable. And the shock for people. And Laura and I were, were caught up in that as well. You could just feel it. There's a mourning and a sadness. And so what I realized is that it's time for me for spiritual practice. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. That's that forgiveness prayer from Dr. E. E. Aliakala from Hawaii. Closed down an entire mental, uh, criminally insane mental ward in Hawaii as a result of doing that prayer. Never met with a patient. And so I, the thank you was not, I'm grateful for this having happened because the sadness and the sorrow is there. The compassion is there. Compassion means to suffer with. But it was thank you for the opportunity to clear this because if we do that prayer and we accept it, we're 100% responsibility for all of it because we teach oneness. And so the part of me that is intolerant and, and, and bigoted of, of, of others, 
in any way, shape, or form has helped contribute to this experience energetically. But it was... So many amazing things happened as a result of that. Her aide, who had been there five days, Daniel Hernandez, had some, some first aid training. I'm talking about the congresswoman again. And so he had the presence of mind to pick her up and stand her against the wall and put his hands on the wound and keep her from choking on her own blood. Saved her life. And, he, and, and, and so many people that, that apprehended this, this very troubled, troubled individual. But... but what we teach here is consciousness precedes experience. And I was so taken, I, I thought, this is surreal. We are, we are two blocks from where this just happened. This random event. And, and to, to experience the energetic of that and to experience the, 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 the fallout and the conversation after that. And I was so grateful to have some insight and be able to have practice in my own life that kept me from spinning in that sadness and that sorrow because it's a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a tragedy. But how can I contribute in the best way possible to this? And so I kept falling back to that little prayer every time I get into the worry, I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you. And then I came upon this information and all of a sudden she talked about the political discourse and when, we, when we're entrenched in this thing, we, we want to turn, turn uncertainty into certainty how we can become entrenched in our own way of being. And then there's no courage, and there's no connection, and there's no compassion, and there's no vulnerability. And we can choose to do that. We see that being played out. And it takes courage to do this. And it takes courage to do it because it's the thing to do, despite outcome. But that's what we're called to do. The other thing she said is we want to perfect. She said, look, she said, here we are. And on her presentation, she shows a woman having this procedure done. But she said, we want to perfect. Perfect. We take fat from our butts and we shoot it into our cheeks. She said, in a hundred years, people are going to look back and go, holy cow, what were they thinking? <laughs> but it's true. She said, we perfect our children. We want to perfect our children. And I've had, two, I've had two groups of children in my own personal life, and I've watched the contrast in, in, in approaches to children. But one is to take our children and we want to hold them perfectly. We want to wrap them in bubble wrap and just let them know you're, you're perfect, whole, and complete. You're perfect, whole, and complete. You're perfect, whole, and complete. And then all of a sudden what happens is you try and launch them into the world and they start to meet the world and they realize, these people aren't treating me like my parents did. Don't they know I'm perfect, whole, and complete? What do you mean I have to show up on time to work? What do you mean I need a job? What do you mean I need to go to school? I'm perfect, whole, and complete. The truth is we are all perfect, whole, and complete. But she said with our children, she said what we, we, we must do is to, to hold them and say, look, you're imperfect. You're imperfect. And you are tripwired for struggle and growth. But you are so worthy of love and belonging. See, when we know, when we stand in the wholeheartedness of who we are, and we know that we are so worthy of love and belonging, we can handle anything. The Buddhists say it. The first thing the Buddha said is that life is struggle. Life is suffering. Scott Peck writes about it in his best-selling book to this day, still on the New York Times bestseller list. Life, life is struggle. But we understand that and accept that. Then we're not looking for the easy way. We're looking and saying, wow, here I am in this. And I know that I, I belong and that I am loved and I have everything I need. So that's the truth of my being. And I can get through this. I can get through anything. I can handle it. But when we don't equip ourselves with that, we fall into these 
we can fall into these traps of depression and sadness and sorrow and there's no way back for us. And so when we, we watch the conversation going on in the world we, and then we see it played out, it looks like, it looks like a random act as I'm, I'm talking about the incident in Tucson. But it is inevitable because consciousness precedes experience. And it was just so apparent to me when we were, we were there. We pretend what we do does not affect others. I'm telling you, when we are in our own being and we're struggling and we're, we're grinding away on things because things aren't the way they should be, it affects one another. Your struggle is my struggle. My good is your good. I want to show up and support you in your good. And if I can do that, I'm already automatically supporting myself in my good. It's the way it works. There's only one of us here, all individualized expressions. When there's a big oil spill, we just want to hear the truth. We want the authentic relationship. We want people to say, you know what, we screwed up. We're going to do everything we can to fix this. I mean, look at the world. Look at all of the things that we see in the world. What do we do when we see what's happened in Brisbane or what's happened in Brazil or what's happened in Tunisia or what's happened locally? To look at it and say, I bring spiritual awareness and consciousness to this and I'm loving everybody in it because it's all good and it's all God despite my opinions. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. But do we go there immediately? I'm drawn into it. But I have tremendous compassion. I was, it, coming out of Arizona, there were times when we were coming back and throughout the, days, the first days we were back, I just kept breaking down into tears. And I think it's just part of, that, part of that energetic of being there and watching the suffering, watching the sorrow. So she says there's another way to live. There's another way to do this, to let ourselves be seen. To let ourselves be seen for who we are in all of our imperfection. And if people have an opinion about that, say, you know what, please hold me in prayer. I'm a work in progress. I use that with my sisters all the time, my seven sisters, because they have, still have opinions of who and what I am. I need all the help, all the Hail Marys, all the Our Fathers, because that's our tradition. Pour them on. Keep them coming my way because I'm a work in progress. Let ourselves be seen. To love with our whole hearts. To love with our whole heart. It takes courage to do that. Why should we love somebody that does something like that to other people, this, young, this gunman? Well, there's all kinds of, who knows? But I know it's a call for love and it's a call for prayer. Because my hating him is not going to add anything to me. And of course we make the right decisions at the right times. To love with our whole hearts, even though there's no guarantee. To be in relationship with one another. There's no guarantee. But do it anyway, because that's what our heart tells us to do. That's what our soul and our spirit longs for. To practice gratitude and joy in those moments of terror and fear. You know, when I was in, a, in and I found this material and I thought about it, it was so true. I would find myself with my friends in Tucson and the, and the story was on the TV and after a while I wanted to just turn it off but it was their home so I went outside. And I stood there and I looked out at the mountains and the sunset and I just thought, I'm so grateful to be alive. And then I came upon this material just to practice gratitude and joy even in times of terror and fear. It takes courage to do that and awareness and commitment. Rather than catastrophize about conditions to step back and say, I'm so grateful to be alive. And she said the number one thing, the number one thing that everyone need, must have in order to live the wholehearted life is to believe that I am enough, that you are enough. 
I am enough. You are enough. And if you have things going on in your being right now that tell you otherwise, love them away. Up until now, you've believed that. But abracadabra, it is done as I say. And work with that. I am enough. Well, yeah, but remember this? Remember what you did there? I'm enough. And I forgive that. I forgive that. And as you do this work, I found as I do the work, there are memories from childhood that come up. And to forgive them and say, wow, look at that. And thank you for showing up so I can clear that too. What would this planet look like if the, the critical mass was about this cleaning? I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. Dr. E says that when one person in a room is doing the cleaning, it cleans everyone. I love that. I tell you, when we're in an airport, I'm cleaning. I see those pilots going on a plane, I'm cleaning. I mean it. People come to me for prayer work around medical procedures. I'm cleaning the doctors, nurses, everything, everything. I'm cleaning it all because I want everybody on their game. I want everybody living from that source of life, that oneness of life, that clarity. And so it's our opportunity. When we see things happen in the world, it's a call to prayer. A prayer for the people of Australia. A prayer for the people of Tunisia. A prayer for the people in Brazil. And the sorrow and the pain and the suffering that goes on there. And when we're, when we're grounded in that vulnerability and the courage to be who we are and to show ourselves as who we are, we're a blessing to the world. And part of the challenge for myself and perhaps for you is reminding myself sometimes and being pulled out of it. But it's our opportunity. And I'm so grateful to be part of a community that's awake and aware and alive and understands that. And we're not stuck in this. I think about this young man, 22 years old, who got so angry, took a gun and just started spraying bullets. And I think about how, had, had he been exposed to some other ideas or gotten the help he needed or whatever, maybe that wouldn't have happened. But what I know now is my vow is that I'm going to do everything I can in my power to make sure that in any way, shape, or form, that doesn't happen again. I watch our teens come together and spend this meaningful time together in the authentic relationship. It changes the world. It changes us. It changes the community. I watch our little ones go down in the basement and be exposed to these ideas and to live this spiritual life. And it's a powerful thing. So I thank you. I thank you for your support. I thank you for allowing Laura and myself to come here and, and, and grow with you in this community. Be part of this. The love and the support that from so many of you, the kindness, the, the letters, the, the notes of appreciation, and, and all of the challenges as well. All of it has continued to help grow us and shape us. And so all I can tell you is we're going to keep showing up. And I'm asking you to show up in the courage to be who you are, despite the imperfection, despite where we are, and to honor it and to love it, and to have the compassion for ourselves so we can share it with others, so we can have that connection at that deep, deep, beautiful place where we can meet. Let's take that to the world this, this week in a new and wonderful way. When you find yourself spinning in the troubles, let's bless it. Let's clean it. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. And see where that takes you. So it is.